God gave me inspiration to, um, to talk about um, assurance, assurance of faith, okay, assurance of faith. Um, we've been um, talking about God's solution to sin and death, okay, is the victory is so simple, but yet it's so complex. Jesus uh, talks about in the parables, he spoke about the parables in Luke 15. It's a wonderful story about two brothers, one going off to a far-off land, the other getting angry at his return, and the father's welcome and grace of this son. It illustrates how God views lost, mortal people like us and illustrates the crucial steps to get into a right relationship with God. Isn't that what bottom line we are doing every Sunday? Isn't that our goal in life when we uh, finish this time on earth is to be in a right, reconciled relationship with God? Step one in the prodigal son story talks about we need to humbly admit. Humbly admit that we are flawed people and we worship a holy, holy God. Even so, the story that Jesus told describes us lost sinners as valuable coins and precious lost sheep. Step one is kind of a depressing step. It's kind of like mourning reality, coming to grips that we have to humbly admit, like Romans 7, the Apostle Paul said what? What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. The reality of our lives. Now, let's talk macro. Uh, we're going to get big here. The world does not believe in a moral God who is just. In fact, they believe that maybe that applies to everybody else except themselves. I, I believe the world believes that um, they are part of the self-justified crowd versus everybody else. We definitely live in a lost, lost world. It is sad. It took me to a place of mourning, mourning that people, my relatives, my friends, my neighbors are missing out on the abundant life, abundance mentality, living water, relationships, celebration, the joy of being home described in the story of the prodigal son. Instead, they are eating and drinking from false gods of the world that's described in Genesis 3. I described these before as the five Ps. There's even six of them now. Power, possession, position, pleasure, and the shaming performance standards of a uh, shame-based culture that we talked about last time. and the uh, shame-based cultures of our family of origin, possibly. This is very clearly illustrated in this story of the prodigal sons, but it illustrates a scarcity mentality. 
It's like sitting in front of the television watching Fox News. There's a win-lose proposition. There are enemies to hate. And I describe what a 5150 is, right? You guys know what that is? Eminent harm to oneself or others. This is where this goes. These are the true forces of Satan, I believe, in the world. You think about the pandemic the last three, four years. Something that could have brought together, right? The world literally tore it apart. The pandemic, there's wars broke out. Gun violence. You know what this slide is? The rates of firearm homicides per 100,000 population. Guess who's at the top of the list? That's right. The United States is an outlier of gun violence. Through 2014 to 2018, 300 and some odd mass shootings in the United States. Virtually one for every day of the year. What is it, 365 days of the year? 2019 to 2020, it doubled. What is a mass shooting? A mass shooting is identified as an incident in which four or more people are killed or injured. I throw this slide up there because it's kind of graphically illustrates what a 5150 is. The balance between a homicide and a suicide is kind of equal. The breakdown of gun-related deaths in 2021, according to the CDC. The message of the Bible. I kind of thought during the pandemic, if anything, anyone, anywhere, sounds like a tot of a movie, doesn't it? If anybody should have a positive message during the pandemic, it should be and could be and is the church, right? The message of the Bible. The message from Romans 7, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. It is a sad truth that we live in a fallen world, whether we want to deny it or not. The message of Luke 15 reaches out to the world with hope. The story describes God as a father of great abundance, not scarcity, who looks, waits, and is ready to reconcile even while we are a long way off. Luke 15 is a message of hope for those that see meaninglessness to life. That's a mouthful. It's a fancy word for meaninglessness. Meaninglessness. It's called nihilism. Nihilism. It's depicted in our pop culture that I'll allude to uh, a little later. But it is a very, very dark place that could mean, uh, lead to meaninglessness in life. Nihilism is a rejection of all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. 
nothing really matters. This reckons uh, um, King Solomon, right, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, that life is meaningless after the pursuit of everything, everywhere. It also is a the refrain of a popular song by Queen, <laughs> right? So I'm going to some dark places, but we're going to have a little interesting levity. We're going to break down uh, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody just a little bit. It is also the theme of everything, everywhere, all at once. Not the theme, but it is a theme of the evil in that story. So let's take a look of a three-minute breakdown of Bohemian Rhapsody. Nihilism. Interesting, huh? It's in our pop culture. There's so many voices of despair coming through our media. I didn't really, I didn't really know that, that this was the kind of meaning of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's kind of a weird, crazy song for those of you that grew up on it. Nihilism. Nihilism. It's the opposite of the message of the gospel. Why do I bring this up? The anarchist leader, Mikhail Bakunin, Bakunin in the 1800s, is that 1800s, 1900s, 1800s, um, by rejecting man's spiritual essence in favor of a solely materialistic one, Nihilists denounce God and religious authority as antithetical to freedom. They deny the possibility of certainty. Skeptics could denounce traditional truth as unjustifiable opinions. Isn't that the world that we live in now? Postmodernism? There's no uh, objective truth. So this is what we need to do. There's so many, uh, I was thinking that Satan uses so many avenues in our modern culture, so many messages of negativity, relativity, that there's no moral truth, there's no God, there's no good, there's no bad. If there's no good and bad, it doesn't really matter what we do anyway. That's kind of the philosophy of the world. There's winners, losers. There's a scarcity mentality. Get what you can while you can. Is basically what the world is doing now. Gosh, during the pandemic, right? Part of the world had vaccines. There was such a selfish horde of masks and PPE and things like that, right? People were hoarding up uh, anti-bacterial uh, uh, um, gel. They were hoarding it up so they could sell it at a higher price and gouge people. Such a crazy thing of a scarcity mentality. It even affected world leaders, countries, states. The message of hope. The message of God told by Jesus in Luke 15 reaches out to the world with hope. The desire 
God's desire is that all people should not perish, but come to know him. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The story explains that when we take the steps of true repentance, there is restoration, reconciliation, and abundance. This was the mind-blowing thing of the second son, right? That the father gave abundance. <laughs> he was stuck in, what? what's going on here? The son of yours has spent half your inheritance on wild living, and you're, you've killed a fattened calf for him. And here I have been here slaving for you all this time, and I haven't even got a goat. That's, his, that's the offense the amazing thing of the gospel, the message of God. Why do I spend so much time on the prodigal son? Because out of all the many words of the Bible, the complexity of it all, the whole complex religious history of it all, Jesus comes down and makes it simple. He tells a story. And it's a story for us what I believe are these steps that parallels the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which are based on biblical principles, and it gives us practical steps. Step two is hope. Step one is humbly accepting, um, admitting reality. Step two is hope, having hope that God can restore the world and us. Step three is about faith in action. Your faith. Faith is not, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I'm a Catholic. Oh, I'm a Muslim. Oh, I'm a Buddhist. I grew up doing this. That is not your faith. Faith is an action. And we're going to spend the last few minutes of today's message talking about the difference between faith and hope. Okay? I see the prodigal son exercising his faith, exercising his hope when he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven, blah, blah, blah. Take me back as a slave. That's what I'll say. So he got up and went to his father. He literally got up and started moving. Faith is not passive. Faith is not, I grew up a Christian. I grew up in church. I grew up a Baptist. I grew up whatever. Or I go to this church. Or I go to church, okay? Going to church is not your faith. It may be part of it, but it is faith in God. Step three of the 12-step program says, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. It's an action. It's active. It's a decision. And you can write this down, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says it so eloquently. Um, even my, there's so much packed in here, even my finite brain can't comprehend it, but we'll say it a couple times. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith in action. Now this is faith. Now faith is, the Bible defines faith, faith is confidence in what we hope for. And insurance 
about what we do not see. Oh, that's profound. I'll say it again. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This interplay between hope and faith is also illustrated in Psalm 51, the prayer of King David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. That's David's hope, right? That's step two. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your failing love. It's like, I heard of your unfailing love, your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. King David was in step two. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's hope. That's also step two. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What step is that? Step one, he admitted, he's admitting his sin. In fact, this prodigal son story, the second son says the same thing King David did here, right? When he's eating the pig slop, when he came to his senses, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I will say, Father, I have, what did he say? I have sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to become your son. Take me back as a servant. He's mourning reality. He's grappling with reality. And so is David here. That's step one. He continues on. So you are right when you... You are right in your verdict and just when you judge. He's acknowledging that God is a holy God and right to judge. That's step one. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is step two, our hope in God. Cast me not away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, hope. Faith is exercising our faith. It's not something we are, we identify with. Like I said, they often say faith is like a muscle. You exercise it. You exercise it. It is belief. Faith is confidence, a determination, a decision, kind of a a possessed belief, a way to possess God's kingdom in what we hope for and assurance about we don't see. I kind of just wrote this. It is hope possessed. It is claimed. It is acted upon. Now, sometimes uh, it's it's. uh... Well, let me go on this slide. I'm sorry. The result of exercising our faith by returning. This is what the prodigal son got. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. So the prodigal son got more than he expected, didn't he? Because he was expecting what? Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. Take me back as a servant. He got more than he hoped for. Instead of a servant, he got what? 
the greeting of a son and daughter and a child. And so here he goes, exercising his faith again. His father embraces him and kisses him. And so what does he say? He goes, well, that went okay. Here goes. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a slave. And what did he get instead? The father responded, Quick, get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is what we, the result of exercising our faith. God gives us abundantly more than we could even ask or think. Psalm 103, to our transgressions. There is no, there's forgiveness, there is reconciliation, there's acceptance, there's celebration, there's no shame. God forgets our sin. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So bringing this home, where do we have the lack of hope in our lives? Is there despair? If we look in the macro picture, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? The initial slides that I put up on the screen. It's pretty sad. Of the lost. But God's solution is twofold. He says what? In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That is evil, sin, and death. Every time we celebrate Easter, God has overcome the world in the macro sense. And the amazing thing is, God wants to restore his kingdom in a macro way, one life at a time. Through you and I. So when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in the world, how does he do it? He's not going to raise up a, you know, Christian nation, okay, that's going to be the savior of the world. God has already done it, and he does it in an individual sense with you and I. God wants to restore his kingdom one life at a time. And this is how I think we do it. It's illustrated here in the story of the prodigal son. Are we ready to take the steps, steps one, two, and three, possessing the kingdom of God, turning from death to life? How? By taking step three of faith, turning hope into action. Trust. How do we do this? We trust God with the big and small things of our lives. So the question is for us today, what big and small things have we not trusted God with? All right? It's sometimes a better teaching moment when we look at the opposite side of things, the negative side of things. What does it look like when we don't trust God with things? And what does it look like when we do? The opposite of faith is worry. Not giving God the big and small things of life. Let's take a look at Mar Mary and Martha. 
Mary is in relationship. She's being poured into, isn't she? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's learning. She's open. She's receiving. She's healing. She's growing. She's belonging. Let's look at Martha really quick. What is Martha? Martha's angry. <laughs> she's anxious. She's estranged from relationships. She's blaming. She's upset. She's not listening to Jesus. She's not sitting under Jesus' feet. In fact, she's telling Jesus what she needs. She's judgmental, and she's reacting. That's not faith. Let's look at the older son. Kind of the same thing. The older son is what? What's the first word in the story? He was angry. <laughs> he was angry. Anxious, estranged, blaming, upset, not listening, not sitting under the father's instruction, telling the father what is just, judgmental, reacting. Jonah and the whale, I brought up before. What is Jonah? He's angry. <laughs> it caused justice. He's anxious. He's estranged from people of Nineveh. He's blaming. He's upset. He's not listening to God. He had a timeout in the belly of a whale. And still, after preaching and seeing repentance of Nineveh, he's not sitting under God. He's telling God what is just, judgmental, and he's reacting. That's what the opposite of faith looks like. It's a scarcity mentality. There's right and wrong. There are good guys and bad guys. There are winners and losers. Step three, I encourage us all to exercise our faith today. Let's close in prayer. Oh, dear God, help. God, I believe. We believe. Help our unbelief, God. Help us to realize, God, our faith is not just coming to church. Our faith is not just identifying as a Christian, that we've been a Christian for 20 years. Our faith is exercised in the small and big things of our life, God. Whatever challenges that we're facing today, God, help us to exercise that faith today. You tell us that a faith of a mustard seed is all we need to move mountains. You tell us that it's not so complicated. We just need to have the faith of a child, which kind of translates to me as trust. Trusting you with the big and small things of my life. Help my faith, God, become confidence. Help my faith become assurance in what I hope for. And what I long for in the innermost parts of my soul, God, our hopes, our dreams, our hurts, and our fears. God, may our faith be receiving, receptive, like this simple, wonderful story of the prodigal son who uh, had hope in you and exercised his faith and you ran to greet him, and you run to greet us and welcome us back as your sons and daughters, God. And you give us so much more than we expect and can even hope for. God, you treat us like lost, precious uh, coins and treasure. You treat us like precious sheep. 
God, thank you. For those that are uh, following you, God, we praise you and thank you that we can call you our Abba Father and us your sons and daughters. In your son's name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let it be so.